Amen. Well, it's always good to um, come to the Word of God when you feel like it's already been preached in virtually every song that we've sung so far this morning. Thank you um, for the worship there, Johnny and Gwill. We're back in Romans 8. You should have it right now. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 8 this morning. But before we get there, quite there, um, I was reading backgrounds to Romans 8, and I came across this. If you think of the Bible as a gold ring, then one commentator said Romans is like the diamond on the ring. And if you think of that, then chapter 8 is the sparkle that you get on that diamond. This chapter is so full of hope, and it's so crammed. As you read it, heard it read, there's bits that you've heard from years and years of reading the Bible that jump out, aren't there? Um, the introduction to the message version, I always love to read what that has to say, say, talks about Romans. It says, the letter to the Romans is a piece of exuberant and passionate thinking. Paul takes the well-witnessed and devoutly believed fact of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and thinks through all its implications. How does it happen that the death and resurrection of Jesus, world history, takes a new direction? And at that same moment, the life of every man, woman, and child on the planet is now eternally affected. What is God up to? What does it mean to say Jesus saves? What is going on behind all of this? These are the things Paul is thinking through, and this letter has become the primary document of Christian theology. So if this letter is the primary document, then chapter 8 is the heart of that document. Think of all the poetry, all the philosophy that was being written at that time in Rome, and yet none of it has had as much impact as this book um, has on the life of people still to this day. It's extraordinary to think about it. And so that's why it's worth taking our time to go through this book, this chapter, a few verses at a time, and let's dig through and see what Paul was coming together with. So last week, in the first four verses, Paul's already introduced the idea of the Holy Spirit. He says in um, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This week, we are going to dig a bit deeper into that idea. Uh, interestingly, Spirit, the word Spirit with a capital S regarding the Holy Spirit, is mentioned 19 or 20 times, depending on your translation, in um, this chapter. In the previous seven chapters, it's only mentioned four times. So the heart of this book 
clearly centers on the Holy Spirit. He's become center stage. And in my Bible, the heading of this chapter is even called Life in the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is central, that is, that is sorry, that is central to us leaving sin and beginning this new life that Jesus bought for us on the cross, as we heard last week. This is where we begin to put into practice what Jesus paid for us. This is where we begin to see the old man versus the new man. This is a partnership with the Spirit. This is what Jesus was meaning, if I could have my first slide, when he said to his disciples in um, John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus left so that he could send his spirit so that we could live this life in partnership together in order to be children of God. Paul is excited about what this partnership means. He's keen to show the others this partnership can transform our lives and really turn it around. Paul understands there's a battle raging. But Paul is saying, we have the spirit in us. We can see the victory even in the midst of evil that surrounds us. How? Because of this partnership the Holy Spirit. Paul lived in evil times with evil Caesars. He wasn't ignorant of what it meant to live in the world. And especially in our day, the parallels are clear. Times when to say Jesus is Lord could have cost the um, believers their lives. Times when the hedonism that surrounded them would be overwhelming but we have the Spirit with us. That's exciting, and that makes the difference that we have. Okay, let's have a look at verses 5 to 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So today we're specifically looking at how to deal with sin, even habitual sin, and how we need to have a renewed mind just a few verses, but there's a lot in here. So back to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
Now, Jenny's version that she read earlier talked about sin nature. So just to make clear here, for those of you like me that have the word flesh, Christians do not believe that the body is bad. It's not Gnosticism. We don't believe that flesh is evil because Jesus became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and yet he was without sin. So it's not saying flesh is bad and that the body is bad and that when we die, we're going to escape the flesh and we're going to become spirit. Not at all. What Paul is saying here is that the flesh is our sin nature. For those who live according to their sin nature, set their minds on the things of their sin nature. And then it goes on to say, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. So then there's the spirit, not just the Holy Spirit, but now we have a new nature when we choose to live according to the spirit. We have a new nature that's no longer based on our sin nature, but it's our spirit nature. That's the Holy Spirit in us, the spirit of God. So we've got spirit versus the flesh. Paul has been setting this up in the first seven chapters, and here we come to the point where he's going to show us how we can overcome this. If we don't understand flesh versus spirit, we're not going to get what the book of Romans is about. It's that battle here. The flesh is the sinful desire. The spirit is our spiritual desires that come from the Holy Spirit. So there's a difference here in this verse between those who are unsaved and those who are saved. However, if it was just that simple, the world around us no longer has a concept of sin. Their minds are set on the flesh. They've become so bound up in sin that if we even, as many of us did yesterday, suggest to them that what they're doing is sin, it's laughable to them. We can become more and more polarized in our positions. We can see their sin with all its wickedness and all its um, immorality, and we can classify that as sin. We become more concerned about the sins of society and their evil depravity. But what do we set our minds on? That's what Paul's looking at. With such extreme sin, it's easy to overlook the sins that we've made acceptable without any sense that it is even sin. Because in comparison, it's just so minor. We can be saved and still struggle with our sin nature, with our flesh. Paul is not expecting us to be perfect when he talks about this. But as the result of salvation, as the result of setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, we should want 
to be changed. We should desire the things of the Spirit as opposed to those who exist according to the flesh. Those who are simply according to the flesh will, as a result, set their minds on the flesh and live in their sin. Ephesians 2, if I can have my next slide. Um, Paul takes this idea and he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, amongst whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our flesh, our sin nature, made us children of wrath, and we lived it out. But here, Paul's saying, we have the solution. Those who live according to the Spirit, this is the answer for chapters 1 to 7, a partnership when we choose to live according to the Spirit. He's been building up to this, and now he's flipping the coin, and we have the opposite side. With our mind set on the Spirit, we can experience genuine transformation because we now have a new influence in our lives, a new desire that comes from the Holy Spirit. This is supposed to be the normal Christian life. It's supposed to be how we live. Of course I want to focus on the things of God now. I have my mind set on the Spirit. Of course I want to live my life according to God's way. I have new standards that will bring about new behavior, that brings about a new lifestyle. Because when our minds are set on the Spirit, our lives are transformed. As natural as sin is to the sinner, Paul is saying here, so it should be natural for the Christian to walk in the things of the Spirit. How many of us can say amen here to what Paul is saying? Amen. amen. On a good day, we can all say amen to that. However, it's tough. It's a tough call that Paul is asking us to live up to. But don't give up yet. I want to encourage you this morning, along with Paul, these are words of hope. Let's just think for a minute. Think back over your last year. Just think how things have changed. We can see, can't we, just how incrementally the things of God are becoming more important to us. How many of us can see that we turn to the word of God more often to read it? How many of us can see that when we get in a tough time, we pray and cry out to God for help? How many of us can say along with the psalmist, oh, 
um, oh, I love your laws. They're my safeguard. They're my security. That should be a real encouragement to us. Paul is saying we are being transformed by the spirit who lives within us. He's not saying it will be without wrinkle or bumps in the road. Sometimes you hear of people who become Christians and they just stopped sinning. Certain things were no longer um, appealing to them. They had no desire to do that again. But other people struggle with things that are tough. This life is not without wrinkles. Paul is not suggesting we will become perfect. But he is saying we have the spirit. And when we set our minds on the things of the spirit, we will grow into the person that, he, that God has created us to be. Ephesians 22, if I could have my next slide. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed by the, in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Oh, next, if... Oh, no, sorry, I forgot to say that one, yeah. Sorry, it's the next one, Ephesians 4. Yep, there it is. Sorry, I had that in my notes and completely blanked it. So we're to put off the old self and be renewed in the spirit of our mind, put on the new man. This is something we have to do. You have to choose to set your mind on the spirit. We have to choose to be hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are we looking to take the old off and to put the new on? This is what Paul is challenging us here as the people of God to do. Not to be perfect, not to live a life without sin, but to choose to grow in the spirit. This is the exciting partnership. Interestingly, we need to be looking at both things. We need to look at putting off the flesh for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. We need to put that off. But the challenge here is we also need to be putting on the desires of the Spirit and set our minds on the things of the Spirit. It's important to choose not to sin, but it's also important to choose the desires of the spirit. My next one is Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, which I had to look up. It means contention, quarrel, or discord. Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We can see here this is a fairly comprehensive list that Paul's put together for us. 
And we can see it going on all around us, can't we? Especially those of us that were out there yesterday. But what's happening in our hearts? How many of these have we made acceptable sins that we no longer notice because it's just who we are? Are we taking the time to let the Holy Spirit challenge us to put off the old man? And praise God, Paul uses that phrase. It's the old man. It is no longer who we are. It's what we used to be because of the amazing grace that we've been singing about this morning of Jesus Christ. But he goes on in this passage, my next slide, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It's like this. How many of you have ever had a song that got stuck in your head? When I was um, growing up, it was that um, Kylie Minogue song, I Should Be So Lucky. Oh, it would just go round and round and round. And the harder you try to stop singing it, the worse it gets. So the only way to stop it would be to actively play something else, put on another song so that you could get the other one out of your head. In our fight with sin, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be putting on that new song in order to get the old one out of our head, setting our mind on the things of the spirit, not the things of the law. If I can have my next slide, he finishes this passage in Galatians 5 with, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Amen. We need to choose to set our minds on the spirit. So he's given us a clue here with the fruits of the spirit. But my next slide, Philippians chapter 4, tells us how we set our mind on the things of the spirit. In verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If we take this seriously, oh, I, sorry, I keep going. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I think if we take this seriously, the people of God would be a lot less stressed because we would know how to live in peace. Back to Romans 8, um, verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Interestingly, if you notice in your versions, I'm not sure how it would be translated, but in mine it says, if you set the mind on the flesh, to, sorry, to set your mind on the flesh is death. Not it will bring death later, but it is death. That's just like Adam and Eve, isn't it? In the garden, Jesus said, if you eat of this fruit of the tree, you will die. 
And Satan said, will you? But they did. They died then because their relationship with God was destroyed. And they died later. Those who are set on the flesh are dead. Death is more than just dying. It's a different life. When we set our minds on the spirit, we are alive in a way that the others will never understand. There's a life in us, a joy that can be found in the middle of turmoil, in the middle of chaos that they will never experience because they are dead to the spirit. When you set your mind on the spirit, it is life and peace. Ephesians for my next slide. Explains it even more. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Oh, and I keep going. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Life and peace is what Paul and the Spirit are offering as the opposite to death. As we're walking in that life and walking in that peace, we will find the ability to stand in the midst of trials and turmoils that will be like nothing else. As we learn to set our minds on the spirit, we can experience that ourselves. If you're struggling, if you find you come to a situation that you are struggling to handle, set your mind on whatever is pure, lovely, excellent. Experience the peace. Take time to stop and pray in the middle of chaos. You can defeat the flesh. I can't tell you the difference prayer makes in those situations. You have the power to stand against the flesh. You have the power to live according to the Spirit because we have a partnership with the Holy Spirit that transforms our lives. Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
that takes us back to that Psalm 119, um, verse 97, doesn't it? Oh, how I love your law. That's a true sign of those who are living in that partnership with the Holy Spirit. Hostile to God, it just means opposition to or a dislike of God. My sin's not bad. I'm not hostile to God just because I swear now and then. It's just who I am. God doesn't mind. He understands. No, no. We cannot allow ourselves to be deceived. Sin, all sin, is wrong. Paul's list was very, very comprehensive. Don't water it down. Don't make some of those things acceptable. I'm not saying we have to be perfect, but I'm saying if we minimize our sin, we become hostile to God. We do not submit to his law, and indeed, we cannot. We need to see sin as it is, as sin. Can I have my, my next slide, Gary? This is a um, psychiatrist, in, um, an American psychiatrist, who wrote a book, and he said, the very word sin, which seems to have disappeared, was once a proud word. It was once a strong word, an ominous and serious word, but the word went away. It almost disappeared. The word along with the notion. Why? Doesn't anyone sin anymore? Doesn't anyone believe in sin? We need to submit to God's law. We need to learn to love God's law because it is our safety net is our comfort. Paul uses the word here, um, cannot, twice, verse 7 and verse 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We cannot be in God's presence because God cannot not have sin in his presence if we minimize our sin and make it acceptable. But the remedy for sin is the saving power of Jesus in his death and resurrection and that amazing grace that is there, there for us. Paul said right at the beginning, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit if we choose to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul calls himself the greatest of sinners when he's writing to Timothy. He knows what it is to live with that sin nature versus spirit nature. But we worship a God who is slow to anger a God who is greatly patient with us. And Paul is telling us here, we are free. But we have to put off the old man. This is how we grow a day at a time when we walk with God. We choose not to still be that old man, but to be the new man. 
when we have the fear of the Lord in our lives, which just means an awe for who he is. We will choose to be obedient even when we're struggling. It's not easy, but we will take the decision to reject the flesh and to turn to the spirit. And we have brothers and sisters around us. God's put us in a family who can support us, who can pray with us, who can celebrate the successes and remind us of how far we've come in this walk. My last slide. A.W. Tozer says, what is the fear of God? The fear of God is the deep, life-controlling sense of how dangerously holy and just and righteous God is towards even the least of sinners. When we know God like this, dangerously holy, and us like this, utterly sinful, we, this knowledge acts as a deterrent to sin, since all sin is blatant rebellion against God. They are hostile to God. They cannot submit to, the, to God's law and cannot please him. Let us take this warning this morning and let's choose life, that exciting, exuberant partnership that comes from being choosing to set our minds on the spirit. We don't have to be perfect. We're not alone in this, but we do have to desire the things of God and be committed to growing as we partner with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we commit today to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We marvel that you would even choose us. We thank you for where we've come from and how far we've grown to this day. And we are humbled that you would partner with us in this. We choose life and peace today. In Jesus' name, amen.